And we're live. Alright, welcome back to the third episode of TMI. I don't know if we figured out what that acronym means yet. Um, we'll have a new one every, every episode. We'll figure that one out eventually. Anyway, um, I'm here to welcome you back. I'm joined by two of our co-hosts. Um, I'm Jacob, if you guys would like to introduce yourselves. I'm Cyrus. I'm, I'm also co-host. I am Caroline. I'm here, and uh, I think Jojo might be in the room here somewhere too. She's, uh, you know, part of our diversity efforts. Yeah, she's we, a dog. Yeah, we yeah. we heard the comments, and we tried to diversify, so we got a dog. So yes. you know, interspecies dialogue important. Yes, definitely. So um, you might recognize me and Cyrus from the first episode. We were your co-hosts then, and we're going to be your co-hosts again. Just as a um, couple disclaimers, this is, once again, our opinions. Not a lot of hard fact behind it. Um, oh, I have, I have many facts. Well, Carolyn has facts. I have opinions. Jacob and Cyrus have stolen the same positions. We don't really know what we're talking about. Yeah, this That's is... how we like it. This is just us talking. Um, so, if you have something else that you want to do, or, like, just want to hear our voices, you know, put something on do something else, put this on in the background, and enjoy the show, the ride, whatever you want to call it. So, um, this one, we're going to be talking about apocalypse scenarios, the future in general, and probably one of the most common uh, top, well not topics, but examples of when people are left on their own to survive Lord of the Flies. Um, so, where do you guys want to start? We should start with maybe kind of work backwards, like, you know, let's talk about, like, some sort of common representations or, like, famous representations of what people see the future as, you know, people see or saw the future as looking like and sort of work our way backwards. Okay. Um, so, pretty common future scenarios in pop culture. We have things like Star Wars and Star Trek. Well... Star Wars, maybe not, but Star Trek is definitely a future Earth scenario. Star Wars is a long time ago. That already happened. Yes. It's in the past. Yeah, the, the whole... It's far away. Yeah. Okay. Back to the Future. Okay, Back to the Future, yeah. Um, what else? Back to the Future, Star Trek. Does Logan's Run count? I'm not really, Logan's Run. Not really clear on that. Um, I'm not super familiar with Logan's Run, so... Okay. We, then we can just not mention that. Okay. Um... <laughs> Like, if we want to go back to, like, literature, I mean, we have, you know, we've all recently been reading, like, 1984, Brave New World, or... Okay. Yeah. Go back to, like, I mean... Mm -hmm. there's like stuff. Other classic. And in the case of 1984, that is a future scenario that has already passed, uh, so it's not saying that it's not a future that's possible for us right now, but I'm just saying it's not predicted. It wasn't is predicted with 2017 and future in mind at mm -hmm. this point i think back to the future is also yeah back to the future at least the second back to oh, the yes. future took place in 2015 mm -hmm. yeah so that's that's always fun um yeah also future ambiguous future uh fahrenheit 451 mm. um some of the good classics about future and you know suppression and all that good stuff but um fun fact Ray Bradbury didn't intend it to be about censorship. 
he intended the meaning of the novel to be relevant to television. So, that's just a little thing, like, you don't decide what your art is about. Once it's made, it's for the people. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Cool. Well, um, so we've got some future examples in. Um, kind of on the Star Trek Back to the Future side, we've got, you know... Um, Not entirely pessimistic about everything. Yes, um, as you'll find out, most of the people on this podcast tend to look on the darker side of things. I yeah. mean, like, lots of sci-fi, much of sci-fi future focuses on dystopia. Hmm. This is true, dystopia is but very common. But it used to. There was a turning point sometime in the 1900s when people stopped imagining gleaming spires and flying cars and all of that and started imagining dystopia with utter control and gritty streets and people with not enough to eat. That was There was a turning point sometime in the 1900s where people started to think of the future as a dystopia instead of a utopia. Well, I mean, there was always, there's always, like, dystopian and, you know, Yeah, there was always stuff, the clash. But, like, um, I'd say, like, you know, post-industrial revolution, depression era, like, people started to, like, in general see the future as, like, messier and more bleak. And during the Cold War. Well, yeah, our, our art and our literature and our ideas are shaped by what's contemporary to us, so, you know the 1920s and the cold war were definitely some very dark times so a lot of the uh, a lot of what was produced at that time would also be along that trend you know you think with you work with what you have what you're given and you know there's always going to be people that you know try to look through that soot and that darkness and find the light at the end of the tunnel um but yeah for the most part you know there are definite turning points where the dystopian future is much more prominent. And you'll also have those authors during those time periods that just fancy irony, and so they have utopias and mm -hmm. things and arts where they sort of contract the reality they're living in as a sort of escape or maybe statement about the reality. Definitely, definitely. Um, so, but anyway, so we have two versions of the future, a utopian version and a dystopian version, which... And, of, and there's, there's some mixes in the dystopians mm -hmm. model too utopias. Yeah, and yeah, there are definitely different flavors of this, but you know, for the most part, you know, utopia versus dystopia. And, you know, Star Trek is probably an excellent version of that utopian, you know, future at least. Um, at least when you're looking specifically at the Society of Earth and the United Federation. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, maybe not like quite think of them as dis extremes as utopia and dystopia, but more mm -hmm. optimistic, pessimistic type things. That's, yeah, okay. That's, I mean, I can. Star Trek is definitely an interesting, uh, you know, case study, because it's, you know, it's long-running, and mm -hmm. different installments, and yeah, you can, you know, you can sort of examine the differences. I guess, I mean, so, to some element, you might see that in Doctor Who, too. Yeah. Like a long-running show. Definitely. Mm -hmm. But, um, for our purposes, really, it's the, um, like, the original Star Trek was this idea of, like, this bright, shining future where everyone in the world could, like, be productive, and, like, it was, it was supposed to be this idea of, like, a perfect society kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So. Some sort of, you know, things being internally, like, you know, on Earth, like, sort of the 
problems not, you know, the problems sort of being gone that, you know, there's like the, the internal conflict is kind of gone and it gives, mm -hmm. you know, the society the chance to go out to the stars and explore, you know, they're no longer fighting with each other. And if you think about the mm -hmm. politics of the time it came about and it was, you know, very important that, or significant that the original cast, um, represented, you know, different nationalities. Definitely, definitely. Right. So Gene Videnberry was very progressive. Mm-hmm. So, uh, one of the topics we wanted to talk about was, you know, this you know, optimistic, sort of utopian view of the future. How do we get there? And how do we avoid, you know, taking the steps of getting towards that more pessimistic, dark dystopia? At least, I'm pretty sure that's what we were talking about before we started recording. Something like that. I don't remember it being named 
it was there was named, some it was named at some point. There was some conflict. Yeah, generally in these stories, some kind of event, some kind of um, some kind of apocalyptic event happens, and that allows you know these people who think they're doing this for the betterment of their society take power, and eventually it transforms into this thing that's mm, no longer for the betterment of people, but for the suppression and the the maintain maintaining of the order and power, um, and uh, there's sort of two directions you could take it. Almost like you could take it as in, you know, rising above the ashes, the people band together, and you know, authorities, um, you know, an authority rises out of that, and mm-hmm. sort of, you know, at at any point, like at some point, you know, if the authority becomes too vast, like there's no like original goal at that point is about maintaining authority and then other people look at it as maybe you know there's a big rune in them and then sort of you know just people rising up there's no sort of overarching authority like it's more smaller communities and people working together and that can be like although it's it seems less advanced it could actually it's often like the more positive view mm-hmm. yes yeah that's those two directions are also why whether you believe a, if you think about the future, whether you think about like a utopia or dystopia, it's about how much faith you have in humanity. Almost uh, like whether we're basically good or basically bad. Once you have this earth-shaking event that shatters shatters us to our core, what is that core? What does it contain? And what behavior will we do about it? And of course, it's different for everyone, but like humanity as a whole is what you usually think of when you think of the future. Definitely, and you know, currently, um, I don't have any sources to back this up but at least in my opinion the biggest threat to modern society is you know the availability of clean water and clean energy and just a resource crisis that will happen sometime in the near future as you know we drain our planet of natural resources so Mm -hmm. you know that's which is of course totally avoidable yeah it's it's avoidable artificial really if you think about it i mean i don't I mean, I don't know, like, try not to get too much into this, but sort of, you know, the way, you know, when you're talking about, like, you're considering how much faith you have in humanity, but it's not just that. You have to think about what we do when we come together as groups, when we come together as governments and as corporations and as, you know, societies, like, those, you know, something like that tends to have doesn't have the same goals as, you know, the elements that make it up, you know, make it up, and the thing about things like clean water and food availability and clean energy is, like, these things are, like, theoretically not really that hard to get, but the way our system functions, like, yeah, there's... Yeah, it, it shouldn't be hard to fix these problems, but we've created these problems for ourselves that we that we convince ourselves are difficult, um, but they don't have to be. Yeah. And that's the issue is because people profit off of, you know, them not being readily available. Exactly. If you, I mean, yeah, it's true the point, like, once you come together as a group and, like, as a corporation, like, how will you act then? Uh, which is why I was like, if, if, if something like a war, which is what happens in most of the dystopian or utopian novels, uh, if something like a war 
uh, sort of brings this all down as as equals at that point. Then if 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 there's such a war that everyone loses the power that they've carefully brought up just because of this violence, then how do then how does that affect us? Mm-hmm. When we don't when we don't have those incentives or motivations like money to keep resources away from people. Yeah. yeah. Or if they no longer can, you know, sometimes disasters. Um, some sometimes you see this uh, more in uh, utopians, or I suppose you could see this moment of dystopia too. Is that you know whatever is holding the power, whether it's you know people like um, you know disproportionately powerful people, or just corporations, or authoritarian government like sometimes you see like in future scenarios is you know that something happens that wakes people up that this just can't go on anymore and um, you know the power of collective power of people like mm-hmm. they you know they don't accept something any longer which is probably more optimistic than you know yeah. a war or a disaster taking it, yeah. those things out but it's also if you think about it, it's it's more optimistic because it, and this might just be me being pessimistic, which is something I love. Uh, but if it's, it, it could also seem less realistic, really, because if you see how much people can put up with without saying like this is this is where they need to stop, like you keep moving the line back and back, and you can see people or like societies doing this really easily, actually, and with almost no, with almost no backlash. And so like when when do you stop moving the line back? until the line is just erased by some sort of events. So that's, that's... That's, like, a really good point about, like, moving forward toward the future is that we can't, you know, like, in reality, like, you can't expect, you know, government or businesses or anyone to, or society, you know, as a whole to advance forward, mm-hmm. like, at, you know, if we want to build a future, like, build the future that we want, it's, you know, it takes individual action, it takes, you know, unlearning some of the things you've been taught as part of society. Mm-hmm. Which is something that not all people are willing to do, or pe- some people find it hard to do, or some people have incentives not to do, which is the mm-hmm. issue. Some people, are, a lot of people are just pushed away from it, too, mm. um, for fear of you know, for whatever reason, or just True. the general, like, tilt of society, you know, people don't want to say these things because they seem radical or ridiculous, but that has much more to do with the frame of reference you're raised in than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, to move radically forward, sometimes you have to think radical thoughts, and, you know, we sometimes you have to take a few risks and break a few eggs to really push forward and see how far you can take things and you know there's always the concern that you will take something too far but you know that fear of the unknown and being scared to try didn't get us where we are today yeah i mean there's some people like fear of on the other hand like you know the idea of you know making use of your power as an individual or as a collective, you know, making use of the power of ordinary people 
sometimes scares people because they might think like who am I to have the right to say how things are decided and in some ways they are right like sometimes like I mean how many times in history has a government been overthrown to not really be replaced with anything better but that doesn't mean that you know ex accepting something that's unsatisfactory won't lead to a similar conclusion not that I'm advocating overthrow of the government I would never do that mm -hmm. ever no um, you know, I, I, I love the government and capitalism and the NSA. I really love the NSA. I wonder how much it hurt to say that. So, I just, I love, I, I, I really do love them. Anyway, um, getting a little off topic, um, but moving towards the future, one thing that um, a lot of people seem, well, not a lot of people, I have no statistics to back this up, but something that I think um, people should keep in mind is the little thought experiment, which is the plight of the commons. Uh, I don't know. You guys have heard of this at all? Uh, not the name. No, but it okay. should be familiar. Um, for the listeners at home and for my benefit of my co-hosts, um, the plate of the commons is it's a little outdated and it's a little... Um, it's not the most applicable now, but it, it can be. Um, it's basically the thought experience that in um, rural England during never really um small villages who would have a central common ground in which people could graze their cattle so it would I do this um, and that way it would be less taxing on the cows would be less taxing on their own land and um so you know this was a great benefit to the community because more cattle could be raised because there was more land and people could share the land but eventually people started um grazing more and more of their personal cattle on this common land depleting the resources because it, um, the uh, fields were being overspent and seeing that you know this common resource was dwindling and dwindling more and more people would put more and more of their cattle on this land to try and you know utilize the last of that resources effectively and eventually you know this common land would become so grazed and so used that it could no longer be used for grazing cattle because all the grass had been eaten or died so um, now all these people that used to graze their cattle on this common ground had to do graze all of their cattle on their private property um, and now they just rendered that patch of land unusable it's a barren patch um, and this can be applied to today if we're talking about, you know, something that just isn't, you know, land to be grazed on, you know, just, just expend, um, somebody starts taking advantage of something that should be used for the common good. People start seeing that this common, um, resource is being expended heavily by a single source, and then they start, um, trying to hoard of this, as much of this thing as possible thus um creating a competitive and untrusting environment and it this is just kind of human nature um a great example of this are uh battle royale games or games like um player unknowns battleground fortnite or daisy where the initial games start with a set amount of resources which is plenty for each player to um, survive well and and for those who don't know Daisy is a kind of like apocalyptic you know zombie apocalypse scenario where you know I don't know 
X number of players are thrown into this map and they have to survive as long as they can, but and the initial seed of the game has enough resources to grow around evenly and each player will have enough food and bandages and weaponry to survive. But this idea that, you know, somebody could be hoarding and, you know, as soon as we get into the game, somebody will kill me for my resources or you know, this idea that somebody else will try and take what's m what should be mine. Um, we start being paranoid and we start playing into our own fears and we have this self-fulfilling prophecy of you know, people um, putting the system off balance, you know, spending too much too quickly in fear that somebody else might get to it before them. And uh, I can definitely see something like this happening in the future as our natural resources get fewer and fewer because it's already happening now. This... We, there's a lack of mutual trust among people to do the right thing because history has shown time and time and again that there, there will always be somebody to take advantage of that mutual trust. Which is unfortunate, but it's just the reality of human nature. Just, um, like, in relation to that, a lot of people are so worried about, you know, being cheated or being, or something being taken from them or losing something that they deserve that, you know, they can't sort of, you know, look at the situation at large and see, like, you know, that, okay, this could happen, I could be technically cheated out of something I believe that I deserve, but it's, but, you know, taking efforts against that will hurt, you know, hurt me more. A lot of people just really can't see that in general. I mean, I mean, that sort of idea of, you know, the, I mean, the idea of being so possessive of something because you're afraid somebody else might take it, even though re in reality you have enough, I mean, that plays out with money, with capital, and with resources as Power. well. Power, definitely. Just jealousy in general. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Great motivator for bad things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, a lot of people can't see past what they don't realize that what they're doing is more harmful than if they didn't do anything at all in some situations like situations like that they don't realize that they're the hoarding and the you know self-serving the um supposedly the on the surface self-serving actions in the long run hurt them more than if they were if they didn't take those actions and it, they took a less self-interested path. Mm -hmm. Or depending on the power imbalance, they know very well, but do not care. Yeah. Because ultimately the know will not affect them as much as other people, and what they want now is more important than what they need the most. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes me think of, you know, just the... The need to protect oneself, the need to, you know, feel that they've earned something. I mean, there's so many parallels in today's society. I mean, I was thinking about the idea of, you know, support systems or charity or welfare or anything. Like, a lot of people, like, there's, like, if you ever talk to people about, you know, giving change to people in the streets, and so many people are like, well, they could, you know, use it to buy drugs, or they could do this, or they could do that, and, it, and it's like, 
you know, it doesn't matter that either way they're giving up a dollar. Like, to them it's just so important that they're not cheated. And, you know, in a political sense, people worry, well, what if somebody takes advantage of the system? And to them, one person taking advantage of it is worse than many, many people benefiting from it. Yes. Um, yeah, welfare systems and, you know, assisting people who have fell of hard times seem to be a very contentious topic, and, no. And very relevant, like, oh. in 2015, like, half the people in New York who were eligible for food stamps were not given food stamps because the people in charge saw it as a sort of people holding out their hand for things that they didn't really need uh, situation. So actually, like, politicians who were in charge of running this made it so extremely complicated that no one was able to actually benefit from it. Which is terrible. Like, um, a lot of the time, these people, you know, they want to get back on their feet. They want to, you know, try and restart their lives. They just, they can't because of extenuating circumstances, and they just need a little bit of help, and people are unwilling to give it because... The idea of earning it or... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like the... Okay, so America it has a different culture than a lot of the worlds in the sense that it's very individualistic. It has no communities. We do not live with our parents or their parents' parents in the same household. This doesn't really happen that commonly. America has a high sense of indiv individuality and your worth as an individual is what makes you um, relevant or useful to that society. And so that already sort of motivates jealousy in that sense because you have all of these individuals believing that, believing that whatever they have, they have earned. And so that's what makes that sort of sense of community or these people benefiting off of welfare programs that they don't necessarily deserve. Um, they, they feel like they don't deserve them because, well, they're fine. And if, they, if they're fine, then they sort of must have, been, must have made different decisions than the people who are in a worse off situation than them. Um, and so the, the individualistic sort of focus of the United States, I should say United States instead of America, um, has sort of encourages people to view helping each other out as possible competition. Yes, and it's certainly, it's certainly present in other countries, but it's, it's especially present in the United States, I think. I mean, it has a lot to do with when you look at our history and, uh, you know, the formation of the United States as a coalition rather than a, you know, a country like the system with the, you know, our local governments and our state governments and people holding on to, uh, you know, being very wary of authority and all that. Like, mm -hmm. it, a lot of it goes back to our founding in general. It's Absolutely. certainly there in other places, but we have, it holds a special place in, like, our culture, like, as a country, like, it's almost in a religious sense, but, or ideological sense, but for patriotism, like, we hold these values very close, and we consider them part of us. Even though they have a lot of negative effects, not just jealousy, but if you just look at suicide rates, countries that sort of have emphasis on individual individualism uh, sort of, I mean, they have higher suicide rates on average because they don't have, like, a, a social net to fall back on that they feel mm -hmm. comfortable with. Yeah. This idea that if, like, 
if you ask for help or you know if you if you come to a place where you feel you need help you're a failure kind of sense mm -hmm. yeah you failed at something that's why you need someone else's help you should be able to do everything on your own yeah it's you know the idea of working for what you have and you know you get a living because you you know your parents worked so they could support you for as long as you need to get an education or whatever training and then you could work for your living and that's how you survive and that's how you support your family like it's all about you know it's it's there's like the sense is that when you take when you're helped by others that like it's charity they're giving something to you it's less hmm. you know and therefore you owe them yeah and you you discussed earlier like uh living uh our living situations like the i mean the united states has a very like nuclear family focused thing and mm. didn't didn't always i mean there was sort of a move towards that in the 50s i believe like a sort of idealistic mm. nuclear family but yeah. you know so the idea that you you move out from your parents and you're not dependent upon them and there's yeah like the whole like the idea of like a village and you know community like that's very strange to people yeah and this is uh and you can see this like when people make fun of someone else for living with their parents even if like they can't afford to live on their own like that's a bad thing um and you can like humans are social creatures we're not really meant to be individuals and this is like this is my hypothesis but like that's why uh like november onwards that sort of uh thanksgiving and then uh the the the, the next few holidays whatever you celebrate there's these these things these holidays really encourage community and people are like oh it's my favorite time of year and it's like maybe that's because like i i had on thanksgiving like a sit-down meal with my family and family friends and we just talked about the entire thing and that was considered a holiday rather than like a regular event that should happen it, it's it's very odd to me and so that's why i feel like if humans are social social creatures we already feel that this is this sort of emphasis on individualism is unnatural in some way i do i'd say like building on that you know you know i was saying like the nuclear family it's not really a it's not natural like it's not how humans really gravitate towards living their lives and the idea of you know to parents or you know other relatives like raising children alone in the house that's like not only is it unnatural it's not really beneficial like if you think about communal living and there's a lot of benefits it's mm -hmm. better for the safety of children it's better for people being able to stay on their feet and not um you know worrying about where they'll get food or other necessities mm -hmm. it's you know it's more efficient in ways too just because you have people working together and not you know there are definitely a lot of resources that we have just because you know, we figure, you know, just, you know, for sort of things that we might want to use, there are a lot of resources that we collect because we'll use them at some point, whereas, like, so community can be just mm -hmm. naturally efficient in some ways. Yeah, imagine the programs that we wouldn't need, like, imagine how the welfare programs would change if we had, like, this emphasis on community, like, if we helped each other out and we felt responsible for every citizen 
of our country. Imagine if we felt this sort of like need to help them because they are a fellow citizen, they are a fellow American, and that's why uh, they like they deserve it just based on that. Um, you'd have a lot less contention about welfare programs and you'd need a lot less welfare programs because people would be more willing to help each other out naturally. Imagine if you had that emphasis on community. Yeah. Uh, those are definitely very good points and I and I agree that, you know, we've kind of lost some of that community sense and that sense of um, togetherness, especially on some of the smaller scales and um, that's kind of just a symptom of today's society and the way that we've progressed and it does draw back to some of our roots and our founding um a lot of it is just the size and scale of the united states how big we've be how large the nation has become and just how many people like the vast number of people that just live in the world in general today yeah um so it's it, like, we're seeing populations on a scale that, you know, when these initial systems were developed, you know. That's your dog input. <laughs> yeah, she, um, you know, she has, she has a lot to say about that. Um, but it, it, just, you know, community, this idea of communities and, you know, this community togetherness, togetherness was when you had nations of, like, ten. 10,000 people and you had hamlets of 100 people scattered scattered around the landscape um, with such an interconnected and fast-paced world it's it's it gets very easy to you know lose some of those some of that yeah so. of course that's one of the things I see about sometimes the either more optimistic or just realistic visions of the future and how we move towards a better world is sort of you know in some ways returning to um, more emphasis on community on mm. helping each other while also you know merging that with this interconnected world and like you know n the idea is that you know that we all help each other uh it doesn't necessarily mean like you know a large nation like you know communist or socialist um communist really like it doesn't necessarily mean a very controlling like overarching government maybe it means like you know, less, more power in communities while still m maintaining some of that connection. Um, in Isaac Asimov's first robot book called Caves of Steel, I don't, I wouldn't consider it either utopia or dystopia, it's just a possible future, um, and uh, everyone lives in these cities with a capital C because they're much bigger and um, more, more dog input, just, just wait a bit. Just they, a bit they're, more. They're really like passionate about this oh, issue. Yes. They don't want to be, you know, put yeah. away. I didn't know they read the book. Anyway, um, <laughs> cities with a capital C because they're on a scale that they hadn't seen before. Um, everyone in these vast populations are living together, and there is more of a sense of community because it's it's necessary. Earth actually, you know what? Thinking about it, I would consider it a sort of dystopia because Earth has sort of deteriorated in such a sense that they need these pockets of people just in order to survive. Um, and so I can see how an emphasis on community would be necessary in dystopias. Or, like or would post, come about. Post-dystopia sort of yeah. things, like post. we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one thing, like, not that we necessarily want, like, some sort of disaster to happen, mm. but if we sort of plan our, you know, societal improvement around that sort of idea, not that, you know, 
there's no like central like improvements and we'll all you know it's all about technology and you know central improvements and moving forward into very gleaming shiny futures like we have to think of it on like a personal and a community level we um, you know not necessarily thinking oh there's gonna be a disaster and we have to build up our society around that but that uh, improvement can come in smaller more individual ways and it's not all about technology sometimes it's just about people learning to you know sometimes it's just about improving the lives of people and that's not always technological mm-hmm. yeah and yeah and yeah we, we can emphasize that sort of uh, we can emphasize that before it's necessary uh, before it is uh, or before it I think that's starting to happen almost in a way but I yeah I'm gonna get into politics sorry I am <laughs> but um, you know with the current you know whole hubbub over net neutrality and uh, you know the United States uh, political scene in general and people feeling rather ignored by politicians I think one of the things that makes you know an event like this significant is it's really so clear-cut like um, you know it's so few people making a decision that so many people clearly don't want and it's um, and uh, you know this the net neutrality especially because because it affects the internet like a lot which is where a lot of you know modern like activism like power to the people comes from because it's such a great tool where you know just anybody really can make their voice heard if enough people want to listen True. but we started to um you know think how can we apply this offline like uh something you know that i've been communicating with some people about is organizing you know maybe not official groups but just networks of people in communities who want to work at the grassroots level um you know collective basically using our power like collectively in communities not you know asking or waiting for um you know the government or other powerful entities to push things forward mm-hmm. and so that so maybe that's a good thing that comes out of a rather uh unpopular decision is that people are starting to think how can we work together how can we maximize our power how can we um, use our power in return uh, you know, our government or our whatever to what we want to say as people yeah that's that's actually like a really a, a big bright side to decisions being made that go against what most of the people want is that it, it does unite people uh, but you know good things can also unite people too uh, I to be honest I didn't understand why we wanted to go to Mars it's a seven-month trip that's like one way it's it's we pretty much know what's on there from rovers i didn't understand this sort of necessity like oh we want to travel to that planet just because it's the next thing um but human nature smart yeah and i I was like okay so we need to like i don't i didn't really understand it but multiple people tried to explain it to me exasperatedly i assure you 
um, that they that it's it would be a sort of uniting movement. Like, look at the next next thing that the community has accomplished when we work together on this really hard task. And if you think about it as a sort of if you're ignoring any of the science behind it, it's like getting to a planet, and that would like that uniting uh, sort of like the human race as as one giant community. Like well, that that's Star Trek. <laughs> then that would be a, a really great outcome of that. Also, you know, looking towards the future and planetary colonization, you know, if we can learn from our mistakes on Earth and we find, you know, we can terraform planets and, you know, it's kind of like moving to new planets is kind of like a soft reset almost as far as, you know, we can go we, forward. We hope. we hope. We can go forward and, you know, colonize and stuff. Mm. Um, and... Yeah, uh... Moving to new planets is almost like a a faux version of the the war sort of upset thing that we were talking about for the beginning of Dystopia the Utopia is that sort of thing that erases the line. Uh, moving to new planet would just be that, but without the um, I don't know the violence, the bad stuff. Optimistic or you know human way of I mean you know there's the idea of you know human nature and exploration and this idea of you know like a lot of you know, the things about, like, space programs that people like, and it's sort of, I like, is like, it's almost, you know, it's pure, it's not really about, like, politics or anything, you know, literally down to earth, it's about moving forward, exploring, and, you know, when you're talking about, like, some sort of planetary colonization, like, there's no, like, you know, really, you can't be in a faction, and things like, land disputes and that sort of thing like all that's going to be or is it you can't go to a planet and be like all right we're going to like colonize this and not actually work together because that's what mm -hmm. happens in colonies like yeah you, you, mm -hmm. it, it's such a challenge and such a, a new experience that you're forced to you know it's it would be a shame to waste such a situation with you know politics almost then again it's it's still i hope so because Lord of the Flies, you could say that same thing. It's a new situation, you need to work together, you can't really vie for control, but that's exactly what they did. Uh, and so everyone did contribute, but not necessarily in a good way. Also... Well, that's... Also, that's that... Uh, dynamic, I, I feel obligated to mention this every time someone says, says talks about the Lord of the Flies, is just the, the dyna that dynamic, you know, between those boys, like, that was, you know, written to really reflect upon society like you know i think it's one of the differences between like the planetary is like they're forced onto this and their kids they're kids so their they kids they're they don't work together they want to mirror what they and see they weren't and specially chosen for the mission as people going to new planet would be they would be yeah. tested for teamwork and ability and yeah. that sort of thing yeah it, they, this were, was they weren't prepared mm -hmm. and they, they were like gen I mean, definitely part of it was that these were, you know, these kids were coming from some sort of boarding or some impressive school, so there's, you know, this element of privilege and being, like, children not being able to, mm -hmm. you know, really recognize that, so these, you know, these yeah, privileged true. kids wanting to, and that that's one of the things that contributes to just their collapse. The mm -hmm. parallel between Lord of the Flies and going to New Planet isn't really apt, uh, unless you're talking about people who just 
go to bed and then wake up with like 12 other people on Mars and they're like, okay, what do we do now? So. Then there's also Russia who might want to colonize, colonize like the other side of That's Mars. Definitely, yeah. True, land disputes between countries. That would be the ununiting factor. By the way, that was Jared. Uh, he is our no. fourth co-host. We swear <laughs> fourth he has co-host. not been swearing. Uh, he's not been uh, sitting and listening to us the entire time. Yeah, he just he recently just walked in, so we'll he, add him he, to the he, conversation. He replaced the, the dogs. Yes, <laughs> uh, slightly more coherent. But yeah, but um, he makes he does make a good point about mm-hmm. our disputes extending to, you know, extending mm-hmm. like one of the things we like this idea of exploring so much, and we so desperately. Uh, don't want to extend our problems mm-hmm. when we're supposed to be working together, but I mean, we get it could them. also help because of the competitive nature against Russia. Uh, yeah, I competition. Mean, I, we can also take the Antarctica approach and, de- like, basically proclaim that nobody can claim this, like, what happens on Earth stays at Earth kind of thing, yes. where it's like, you know, nobody can claim land on another planet. Which for is, yes, a country. That will require foresight. We need foresight in order to like get rid of this being a sort of uh, extension of our invasion and rather than a new <laughs> land. Like, uh, you know, I think it was one of the things about, uh, you know, scientific things like the people researching Antarctica or people on the International Space Station. Like, it's not their, like, you know, it's just, it's just them and their there because they were sent and they're working together because they're all working to you know they're not here to do any you know do any sort of claim anything they're here to learn and like you could you know you have to think you want to make sure that if we do have the technology and the ability to expand like into other planets that we could hopefully we could like preserve some of this you know the original collaboration that would have to come with you know the original research and the you know the scientific colonies and whatnot like if you could preserve some of that and sort of build outwards than that rather than people rushing to claim things yeah and you know as we move further further into the future um no it's becoming less and less advantageous to use violence as a means to an end like using violence and warfare as a way to get something mm-hmm. um you know just with public perception and an increasingly global world you know using wars to you know to get something from another nation to achieve a, to, to achieve a goal is becoming less and less um advantageous and um a lot more messy and complicated yeah it's messy it's complicated and it's not eternal hmm? eternal yeah um it's not it's not really applicable anymore it's almost getting hit like the effectiveness of war and violence and all that like it's certainly it's it's not it's probably not going anywhere for a while but it's you know its effectiveness is getting hit at the end of uh more and more powerful weapons this mutually assured destruction type thing and, you know, also on the end of people connecting with each other and wanting to not necessarily just being willing to just, um, not necessarily wanting to 
you know, start wars and violence, like, people are connecting with each other and they're not, they're more aware and more individual, they're not simply, they're not simply part of their country or their entity or whatever they're fighting for. Yeah, this idea of larger army diplomacy is really not going to, is going to become a thing of the past fairly soon, so, being able to see past our petty nature and realize what's for the good of everyone is really going to be the the biggest hurdle. Yeah, these things, mm-hmm. it's not sustainable, so if we want to avoid being forced to by disaster, we're going to have to start considering how we move forward, uh, you know, start really critically thinking about what we learn about and the world. Yeah, so, um, so we just broke the 52 minute mark, and that seems to be, you know, the general length of these things, so, um, that Not should... that we would know. <laughs> Not that we would know, but, uh, We also have, um, you know, I think, uh, this conversation has really, um, emotionally affected one of our hosts, um, and she is being very, uh, vocal about it, yeah. so, um... <laughs> yeah, um, so... Well, we are going to wrap it up for now, but uh, just oh, thank and, and, uh, yeah, uh, and another co-host. Yeah, two um, of our co-hosts have, um, yeah, they've been overwhelmed. They've, um, yeah, so yeah. we went too we 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 went too broad today. We'll, yeah. we'll 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 keep it simple next time we're there around. Um, yeah, they but, want to explore other things now. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you once again for listening in and listening to a bunch of people talk about random stuff. Um. Yeah. So. Uh, power to the people, folks. Power to the people. Have a. I, I love you, NSA. I love you. <laughs> um. um have yeah. A... Fight grassroots campaigns, folks. <laughs> Work together. You actually do have power, people. Like we. Yeah. The government. Like yeah. It, it exists because of you. They. They work for you. So like you know. Just, yeah. just in case. That's not uh, a joke. We <laughs> haven't had enough. Like. I didn't know if, like, my revolutionary re- rhetoric was, you know, explicit enough, so I just wanted to, you know. Yeah, just yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> we had that one last message from our co-host, Carolyn. Um, well, thanks once again, and, uh, have a good one.